Thank you, David. Absolutely. We are thankful. God's grace has been multiplied to us in many, many ways, and uh, it's a wonderful and exciting thing. And let me ask you to turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of John this morning. John's first chapter, the prologue, if you will. I am certain that uh, I'm going to uh, slip and fall on whatever water is remaining on the floor here, so I'm trying to be, be careful Um, forgive me for being distracted there. Let me ask you a question though. Quick question. If you were to take a survey and the survey were to ask this simple question uh, and and you would uh, make a create a list out of this question, uh, I want to know what you would list first. What would you consider are our world's greatest needs right now? What are our world's greatest needs? Don't you don't have to answer out loud. But what would it be? Would, would you say something like hunger? You know, hunger is a huge problem. World hunger is a huge problem. Somebody else might say, oh, we need education, right? Um, still, somebody else might say, we need to end war. I mean, the, the threat of war is all around us, everywhere we turn. Maybe somebody else would say the environment, our carbon footprint's too big, or we're polluting too much, or we've got to quit, uh, um, you know, uh, fracking, or, uh, you know, there are th- we've got to be concerned about global warming, and we've got to do something about those things. Back in the 60s, the Beatles came up with their one uh, idea. They said, all you need is love. Well, how about that? What does the Bible say? is the world's greatest need. According to the Gospel of John, the world's greatest need is something very simple. It is belief in Jesus Christ. Oh, I say it's simple, but it's not really, is it? Starvation is a terrible problem in the world. Lack of education keeps multitudes of people in ignorant darkness, and and both of those issues are frequently caused by war, and there are legitimate concerns about our stewardship of the planet, and and we ought to care about those things. God himself commands us to love one another. But according to the Gospel of John, the world's greatest need is belief in Jesus, and that's why John's Gospel, the whole book of the Gospel of John, is about one theme— John has one major idea that he wants you, the reader and the hearer of God's word, to get. And he sums it up in this verse. He says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John understands it. John gets it. The true problem is that we're alienated from God because of our sin. The real issue is that God is holy and the guilt of our sin has placed us under his wrath, under his just condemnation. Meanwhile, the power of sin works evil throughout our lives. And John says to us in his first epistle, his first um, series of letters in the Toward the back of your Bible, I guess I should say, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If those are our great problems, God's condemning judgment and the insidious effects of sin, then the answer 
to those problems is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, whom God sent into the world to be the light of the world. You know, we light the Advent candles as we mark the weeks coming up to the uh, Christmas Day and to the birth of, of Jesus that we celebrate. And we mark them with a candle. I think it's important that we do that. I think it's, I think it's symbolic. It, it means something to us. Because as we light those candles, we are reminding ourselves that Jesus has dispersed the darkness, that he is the light of the world. And the closer we get to his first advent, the more light we have. And certainly, the closer we get to his second advent, the more light we have as well. If our greatest need is to believe in Christ, then what a blessing it is that God has sent us a witness of him. This morning, as we look at the prologue to John's gospel, we're going to look and we're going to talk about John the baptizer, okay? Now, I'm Presbyterian, and I just can't call him John the Baptist, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. John the baptizer. I like to call him John the baptizer because sometimes we think Baptist is his last name, and, uh, you know, just like we think sometimes that Jesus' last name is Christ. It's not. Jesus, Messiah. But John the Baptizer. We're going to look at John the Baptizer. We frequently overlook John because we're in such a rush to see Jesus. And that's, that's all well and good. But I want us to look at the witness to the light this morning. And so would you give your careful attention to the reading and to the hearing of the Word of God this morning? I want to read... Um, the first uh, eight verses of John's gospel here. And these words will be very, very familiar to you this morning. And so let us give God's word its proper place. Remember what this is as we read it. This is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God. And it is good for faith and for practice. So let us give it our attention. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here's our text for today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning to take your word and to apply it to our hearts. To apply it to our lives. To let us see Jesus. To let us let us hear and, and sense who John the Baptist really was. And Father, for us to see ourselves in light of those things. Lord, I pray this Christmas season that, that our focus would truly be on the light of the world. That we would understand that we are to give testimony to his light. Oh Lord, help us to be good stewards of that which you have entrusted to us. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So my, I, I think I, I have three points this morning, and uh, they're very simple, very basic. We've got a short text in front of us today. The first thing I want you to see is that John the Baptist is the forerunner. You know what a forerunner is. He's the guy who comes first. He's the, he's the one who sets the pace. He's the one who begins things. We do like to overlook John the Baptist, I think, because uh, we are eager to see who Jesus is. And, and, I, and I love the fact that as John opens his gospel here, he moves almost immediately to talking about John the Baptist. Did you catch what John did there in those opening verses? John the Baptist is the forerunner. The prologue, though, is like a historical narrative in some way. It's a historical progression for sure. Did you see the progression here in these first opening words? There's something that John does that's very important. Maybe you haven't thought about this before. But look at verse 1 of the text, 1-1. Chapter 1, verse 1. He places the origin of Jesus Christ in eternity past. Jesus Christ is placed in the beginning was the Word. When the beginning happened, the Word already was John the Baptist, or or John the, the Gospel writer is the brother of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Then secondly, the next step in the process, then comes Christ's role in the work of creation. All things were made through him. That's verse 3. Next thing that John speaks about is of Jesus coming into the world. And what does he say? Jesus is a light shining in the darkness, the life of Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ, verse 5. And then in our text this morning, in verses 6 to 9, really, or 6 to 8, we enter into the record of history with the witness of John the Baptist as a forerunner of Jesus. John the Baptist was only a forerunner of our Lord. But he's worthy of our thought and he's worthy of our, of our attention this morning. And as I was studying this week, one of the things that I was thinking about this week was the fact that we don't have in John's gospel as much information about John the Baptist as we do in the other gospels. And so my first temptation was this morning that I would take you to uh, verse uh, 19 and following and that we could uh, flesh out all the things that John, the gospel writer, has to say to us about John the Baptist. And then that we would look at the other gospels and talk about John the Baptist and his ministry. And, you know, he's the guy who wore the the camel's hair and the locust and and ate the locust and all that and was calling uh, the people to repentance. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. Bubba, that's not John's plan here in his gospel. You know, John, John, as he wrote this gospel, was intentional about the way he introduces John the Baptist to us. And so I thought, okay, step back from that idea for a minute. Let's just think about who John the Baptist was. His chief role, his responsibility, John the Baptist's responsibility, his calling in life, was to announce, to bear witness to Jesus Christ. That was his reason for living. That was why God created him. John himself says it himself. He says, says, Christ must become greater and I must become less. But if John the Baptist hadn't lived when he lived, 
If John the Baptist had been born uh, in another age, we would have thought about John the Baptist a lot like we think of, of Daniel or Isaiah or of Amos or of some of the other, Jeremiah, some of the other prophets who, who were stellar prophets in the nation of Israel. We, we would look on him with the highest of praise. John the Baptist was a forerunner. That was his calling. That was his task. That was what he was to be, a witness to Jesus Christ. Now, certainly John the Baptist was a charismatic figure. He had to be a charismatic figure. Think about it for just a minute. When we read the scriptures, we read that droves of people went out to hear John the Baptist. They went out, they went out to see him. John the Baptist was a living nativity, if you will. He was, he was representing who Jesus was and what Jesus would do. Droves of people went out. They did the same thing with Jesus later. In fact, huge droves came to hear and see Jesus. So John was a charismatic. In fact, John was so charismatic. You know what happened, don't you? John was, had so many people coming. He was preaching a message of repentance and faith and, and uh, that, that uh, the people of Israel needed to repent of their sin and be baptized as a sign of their, sin, of their sin, of their forgiveness of sin. Sorry, I'm a little slow this morning still. Um, but he was bringing so many people out that the leaders of the Israelites were coming out and they were concerned about the number of people that John was baptizing. And so the priest and the Levites sent to find out what exactly is that John the baptizer doing down there? You know, what is he doing down by the Jordan? What, what is this message? And, and, and not only that, some of those priests and Levites actually were convicted by the word that John was proclaiming and by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and they repented, and they too were being baptized by John the baptizer. Pretty amazing. He was a charismatic individual. And you can read about that in Mark's gospel. I think that for some, too, in some sense, John the Baptist is like the pivot point in your Bible. Everything changes with the coming of John the Baptist. Do you understand what happens here? You know who the last Old Testament prophet was, right? John the Baptist. He was the last Old Testament prophet. You don't read about him in the Old Testament, though, do you? You read about him in the New Testament because there's a new dispensation. There's a new time coming. Things are changing. John was the last of an old order. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, which has entered from that time forth uh, by faith in himself. John was the herald of a new age. And so he earned Jesus' praise. Jesus said this about John. He said, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about that. He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. He's talking about us. He's talking about you and me. That's pretty amazing when you really consider that and let that sink in. So John was 
was a charismatic figure. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the pivot point of biblical history. And you know what? John exhibited extraordinary humility. John the baptizer was incredibly humble. Jesus said that the one who humbles himself will be exalted, and certainly that is the case for John the Baptist, isn't it? It was John's role. It was John's pleasure to merely be the herald of the Lamb of God. To be the one who would proclaim the good news of the coming of the kingdom. To talk about the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. To point others to his own Savior. He was indeed an incredibly humble man. Like Paul who came later, Paul's concern was solely that Jesus would be magnified, whether in his life or in his death, and that is exactly what John was all about. John's a forerunner. First thing I want you to understand about him. Second thing I want you to get about John the baptizer, I hope I'm not annoying you with that, is the witness. The witness of John the Baptist. I want you to think about that for just a minute. The, the prologue of John's gospel is loaded with key terms. When, when you're reading John's gospel and you're thinking about the whole book of John, John begins to introduce some key themes and key terms and key ideas in his gospel here. And, and so as you're reading this, this section of God, John's gospel, one of the things that you, you ought to pick up on is that John uses a lot of these words, these 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 key words over and over again. He uses the word light and life and darkness. And we've talked about that last week as we um, looked at the, the John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Um, another one of those key words that John uses, and you might want to circle it in your text here this morning, is the word in verse 7, witness. Witness. The word witness appears 29 times in John's gospel. Okay? Now, I'm trusting somebody else counted that accurately. But 29 times, John's gospel uses the word witness. That's important for you to understand. John's purpose was to prove, that the writer, gospel writer John, his purpose was to prove that Jesus is the Savior and the Son of God. And so he marshals an impressive array of witnesses to prove that. And John the Baptist is one of those witnesses, okay? So you got, you got to keep your Johns straight here. Now, you know, and it's kind of hard to do sometimes when you're um, thinking about these things. But think about it. John the Baptist is an incredible witness to Jesus Christ. You know, um, when the police investigate a, a crime or an accident, what do they want? Eyewitnesses. They want somebody who was there. They want somebody who saw it. Somebody who could say, well, I saw it and this is the way it happened. When uh, um, we uh, uh, turn on the news at night and the news begins to make a report about something, you want your news reporter to interview and talk to eyewitnesses so they can give you accurate information. Well, that's exactly what John, the gospel writer, does for us here in his gospel as he points to John the Baptist. 
That principle of having eyewitnesses is one of the principles that guides our entire legal system as a world. When incredible witnesses testify to event, we are morally bound to accept that as a true testimony. And that's exactly what we have here in the gospel. John presents us with witnesses to Christ, and we are morally constrained to believe because they are eyewitnesses, because it is the truth. Witness establishes truth. That's the principle here. So we have a little outline of the witness that John the Baptist um, uh, brings to us. This, it comes in verses 7 and 8 of the text this morning. John writes that John the Baptist, who was sent from God, number one, was not the light. Okay? He's a forerunner. He's leading up to the light, but he is not the light himself. Secondly, he was sent to bear witness to the light. And third, men ought to believe through him. So what's, that, what's the point of that? Let me apply that if I can. Think about what that means personally. In the first place, John the Baptist was aware of who he was. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Messiah. He knew that he was not the Savior of the world, that his job was to point to the Savior. He was to be a testimony. He was to be an eyewitness. He was to be someone who would give validity to the reality of the fact that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and the Savior of sinners. I think that's important simply because when we as Christians witness successfully to Jesus Christ, our testimony, our witness needs to start with that realization that we are not the key to somebody else's salvation. You know, that it doesn't depend on us that we would present the gospel perfectly in this perfect little um, ball so that someone can take that ball and run with it. That's not what our goal is. Our goal is to speak the truth and to be a clear testimony to what Jesus has done. I think it's really important that we start there, that Jesus increases as we decrease. You know, when, when we begin to think that it's more important about us than it is about Jesus, then our testimony really stops. And that's been true for lots of Christians and Christian movements. Well, that's the first application, if you will. Secondly, John bore witness to the light. John bore witness to the light. The, I was thinking about that. I'm going to step on your toes this morning. There are so many of us, because I've done it too, who think that because we are Christians and because we have a Christian world and life view and we live out of our Christian faith, we try to live by our Christian values that we are being a testimony, a witness to Jesus Christ. You know, we feel that we're, we're bearing witness simply because uh, we're living our faith out and, and we're refusing to, to do certain things or we're doing things that, that um, uh, we need to do. And we think by doing that as we live at it, at work, at school, at home, wherever it is, that we're living as a testimony to Jesus, as a witness to Jesus. As a, 
And I'm going to step on your toes here because I'm going to say to you that as important as that is, and it is important that you live out what you believe in your work, in your school, in your, in your home, wherever you are, those things are important, but that in and of itself is not witnessing. That is not witnessing, and I say that on the basis of John's prologue here. Paul Little, who was uh, an author of a, a really helpful book when um, I was first um, beginning to think about what it means to be a witness for Christ, he wrote a book called um, uh, How to Give Away Your Faith. He calls living out our Christian lives before the world pre-evangelism. He's got it right. Our testimony needs to match. You know, our lives need to match up. But that's pre-evangelism. Living the faith is, a most, is, is, is most essential if we're going to have a good witness. You wouldn't, you wouldn't trust someone um, who says that they're a car mechanic if he can't um, put together a, a Lego set, right? I mean, you would just think, maybe this isn't the best place to take my uh, 2017, uh, you know, uh, Explorer or whatever it is you're driving. You know, maybe I better think through this again. Well, the same way with us. Witnessing, real witnessing, is speaking to others about Jesus Christ. That's what's implied in the very word witness, isn't it? Witness, the word witness is a legal term that points to a verbal testimony rendered in a court of law. If you are called as a witness in the court, you are sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And then you're supposed to speak the truth. Witnessing is that for us. We are to be those who speak the truth. We must be able to tell who Jesus Christ is, what he said about the depravity of man's nature, why his death and resurrection are the essential elements of uh, and the solution of man's problem of alienation and rebellion and sin and depravity against God and how we come into a relationship with Jesus personally. A Christian witness is first and foremost about Christ. We simply tell people what the early church enshrined in the Apostles' Creed. You know the Apostles' Creed? You probably know that, don't you? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son. You can go through it just right off the top of your head, can't you? Maybe not. I think that to witness to someone, all you need to do is be able to communicate those ideas that are contained in the Apostles' Creed. Maybe you're better than that. Maybe you can recite the Nicene Creed because, you know what, the Nicene Creed gives us an even larger picture of who Jesus is. Why do you think we use the creeds? Because those are great ways for us to inculcate into our hearts and lives the testimony of Jesus and who he is. It is a great tool when you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. It is a way to share what you know. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way. I've got a little paragraph quote from him. We are meant to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ and to tell them he is the Son of God and that he has come into this world in order to save men and women. 
We are meant to tell men exactly why the world is as it is. We are meant to tell them about sin in the human heart and that nobody and nothing can deal with it save the Son of God. We are very ready to talk about our doctors and to praise the man who cured us when so many failed. We talk about some business which is better than others or about films and plays and actors and actresses and a thousand and one other things. We are always glorifying people. The world is full of it. And the Christian is meant to be praising and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. You know, I'm guilty of that, aren't you? Hey, we're watching this great series on Netflix, and you guys ought to watch this thing. You ought to be a witness to Jesus. You ought to think about how your testimony to Jesus is. John the Baptizer sets the example for this. His message was not about his experiences. It wasn't about how he felt about God. It was about Jesus. When he saw Jesus, what did John the Baptist say? What did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We ought to be able to point to Jesus like that. We need to declare that Jesus is the Savior of our sins. Finally, the witness ought to be given with the belief that the other person, um, with, with the idea that, that you are trying to, to lead the other person to have faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the object of your discussion of your words that faith in christ is what you want to do, that you are leading and pointing others to jesus john we're told bore witness to the light that through him all men might believe it's almost unnecessary because it's so obvious isn't it, it it's possible for us to become so mechanical in our witnessing and sharing about christ that we just it's like we back up the dump truck you know, and, and we just raise the tailgate and we'd lo unload a load of sand on people. You know, we, we give the outline. We give the bare facts. You know, man's a sinner. God is holy and just. Man needs forgiveness. The gospel is about Jesus who is fully God and fully man. And we just, we just kind of dump the outline on someone in a mechanical way without listening and without hearing and without pointing to Jesus out of the heart. Without praying. If we could remember that, that we need to tailor what we communicate in a loving and gracious way, we would be more effective witnesses for Jesus day to day. Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus, how are you doing? Have you thought about witnessing? Have you thought about how you share your faith? Have you thought about those things? Well, let's look at the results and draw the sermon to a close this morning i'll get off your toes for a minute maybe two conclusions i think come out of these ideas these words from john's gospel 
I think when a witness is given, when a testimony of faith in Jesus is given, when, when we give testimony to what it means to put our faith and trust in Jesus, when the Holy Spirit, and oh, you've got to remember this, our witness, our, our verbal testimony to who and what Jesus has done on our behalf, um, it, it's not about us. It's, it's, not, it's not about how well we present it. It's not about, about uh, what we do. It's about letting the Holy Spirit take those words and change a heart. It's not up to you to say it perfectly, to do it flawlessly, to give the whole uh, information dump so that they can respond. It's not about that. It's about allowing God's Holy Spirit to touch and change a heart from death to life. God's Spirit is intimately involved in that. It's when God's Spirit changes hearts from death to life that men and women believe. What does he say? God chooses to save men by the foolishness of preaching. God ought to be saving people left and right. Think about that one. I think we have a demonstration, though, of, of that. John the Baptist, after John says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he records this. If you look at that text, and then you follow that text out um, in, in chapter 1, verse 29 and following, there's a whole string of disciples who followed Jesus as a result of John the baptizer's testimony about who Jesus is. Now, Jesus calls them, but they, they're there because of John's testimony. First, there are two disciples, one of whom was Andrew. Um, the, then Andrew found his brother uh, Simon. Simon became a follower. After this, there's Philip, and then Nathaniel, and then there are others. Clearly, when a witness to Jesus Christ is given the way John the Baptist gave it, people will believe second implication second result second conclusion is this it's simply that if you witness in that kind of way men and women will believe because of your testimony there's seven kinds of witnesses that are mentioned in the pages of john's gospel Okay, I'm just going to list them off for you. Uh, the most important witness is obviously of Jesus Christ to himself. He gives testimony of who he is. The second witness is the Father. The Father gives testimony again of who Jesus is. Um, uh, Jesus said, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. That's in chapter 8, verse 18. So if you just survey the Gospel of John, there are other witnesses about who Jesus is. The witness of the Holy Spirit is the third. Um, he says he will not seek his own. He will speak only what he hears, that he will uh, tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit. So you've got the Trinity witnessing to the reality of who Jesus is. And then there's the witness of Scripture and the witness of Christ's works, his person, his work, the things that he did. And then there's the witness, the testimony of John the Baptist. That's the sixth one. And then there's a seventh one. 
There's a seventh witness. That, that, that's, there's one last one that you need to know about. It's the witness of ordinary men and women. The first of those very human testimonies is actually given in John's Gospel. And I think this is telling. So you've got the witness of the Holy Spirit. You've got basically the person and work of Christ and all that he's done. You've got John the Baptist. And then the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman is the first human, ordinary man or woman who gives witness about who Jesus is. And then that's followed by the testimony of Lazarus. And then the witness of the 11 disciples and the witness of John himself, the beloved disciple who's an eyewitness of the crucifixion. And you know what? You and I, we are witnesses. You know, what does that mean? Why do I take the time to flesh that out for you or throw that up for you to consider? I think it means something pretty important. I, I think it means that God considers your testimony considers the change that god has wrought in your life by your faith in jesus christ to be important and to be significant enough that it's included along with the other monumental testimonies that he's already given us about the person and work of our glorious lord jesus christ i think it's important you are a big part of god's grand story God has basically said, I have written you into my story since before eternity. That you are a part of that one story where I am redeeming for myself a people who are my very own. You are part of the picture. I love you. I long for you to be all that God has called you to be. Your testimony may not be very wide in scope. It's probably not as, as world-embracing as the Scriptures, but it's part of God's grand story. You know a special aspect of Christ's personality, of Christ's work, to which only you can adequately point. God calls you to be a witness to the light of Jesus. That's what John's gospel is to us today. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning that we might indeed be that kind of witness that proclaims that indeed Jesus is the light of the world, that he is the light of our lives, that he is the one who has called us from death to life, from, from, from darkness to light, to make us his very own children. I pray this Christmas season that we would live as witnesses to Jesus. Oh, Father, we, we pray tonight that you would pour out grace and mercy on us as a church as we do the living nativity. And, Father, as we, as we represent what Jesus has done, but, Father, we also know that it is by the foolishness of preaching, it is by the testimony of the saints, and by the Word, and by the work of the Spirit, that men and women, boys and girls, trust in Jesus. Would you perform the miracle of new birth? We pray through us. In Jesus' name, amen.